Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, because you know that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And those are the things we talk about. This is not a show for clowns or creeps or crooks or cranks. No, this is a show for happy warriors, people who love the fight, who love the challenge, love the struggle to overcome entropy and to accomplish their work and to make everything in their lives stronger through strengthening their five Fs. That's what defines us happy warriors. Yes, when we focus on our friends and on our family, on our faith, on our fitness and our finances, everything else is going to be fine as well. Now, somebody said to me recently, why isn't mental health one of your five Fs? Is it just because you couldn't find an F word to explain mental health? And I said, no, I could have, if I wanted, I could have said uh, psychiatric fitness uh, or something like that. Uh, or that's not really an F, that's a, a P. But um, <laughs> all right, fine, you got me. But um, no, the, the reason is because it's the same reason somebody suggested I include fun. And you people, you're not getting it. You know, I mean, this is fun. Right? What does that mean? Fun. Relaxation? Well, it depends. If it's under fitness, then fine, go for it. But if it's uh, spending hours in front of a screen, you know, watching stupid videos, then no, don't do that. That's not even if even if your body says, oh, this is fun because I love doing nothing. Um, that's a terrible idea, something you really don't want to do. So absolutely, no, fun doesn't belong there. But um, what about mental health? If I, uh, you know, if I had an F word for that, would I be? No, of course not. People, look, you've got to understand something very basic. Mental health is the natural default condition, okay? When problems occur, usually they are the results. Now, I'm going to tell you something now that is very provocative, and I don't mean this to be provocative, and uh, I shouldn't even need to give out any caveats of, look, I'm hoping I'm, I'm not meaning to hurt anyone. Or Come on already. Let's just focus on the things we have to know, all right? And one of the things we have to know is that if your family relationships are good and your friendships are good, and your physical fitness is as good as you can make it, and your finances are in shape, and you also have something of a connection with the creator of the universe, I'm sorry, I mean, I know there are people who are not religious listening, but you have to hear that. You have to know that because it's not really that optional. I mean, you know, free free country, everything is optional. You can do what you like or don't do what you like. But um, but you you do need to know that if your relationships with money and 
family relationship. It includes sexual relationship, obviously. All of that is part of family. Your finance and financial relationships, um, your uh, uh, so friendship and your family and your finances, your fitness and your faith, if all of that is in good shape, the odds are your mental tranquility will be at a very high level as well. Okay, now, um, I know that people like the idea of, oh, there I was just walking down the road and I got hit by something, you know, and I had nothing whatsoever to do with it. Uh, that's simply not true. And you're fooling yourself if you believe that you are uh, a victim of fate without independent agency, without the ability to sculpt every detail of your life, without the ability of creating your own spiritual schematic, which your life follows very meticulously. And so um, there, there are additional words that I, I would encourage you to banish from your vocabulary. Please, please stop using the word trauma. You know, unless unless it's in a in a in a, a, a jocular sense, um, I couldn't find parking downtown. It was so traumatic, you know, and, and everybody smiles. But other than that, please don't use it. And I'll tell you why. Don't use it because life has challenges. Life is difficult. Everybody has their burden and their package. The problem with the word trauma is that it is undefined. It's beloved by the mental health industry, obviously, but um, it shouldn't have any currency in your life. You simply shouldn't use the word trauma. I'm, I'm having a, I'm going through trauma or, you know, it, 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 it was traumatic. No, it's an undefined word. And so for one person, not having an ingredient on hand to bake a cake is traumatic. And then there are other people, a doctor was telling me, a doctor who works in an emergency room somewhere in the middle of the country, um, tells me that um, he says different racial groups, different demographic groups react differently to uh, pain and, yes, real trauma. And he said that Asians can come in with huge amounts of massive physical trauma. And he'll say to them, how, on a scale of, of one to 10, how badly is the pain hurting? And he knows it's got to be up there at seven or eight because he's been a doctor for many years. And um, he says Asians in general will downplay pain and downplay trauma. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing, you know. And he said there are other groups that uh, are uh, very, he said this is very notable. Uh, you you can really you can really see the difference, but it's not healthy to upgrade every challenge you have. And I'm not diminishing the challenges, right? We all have challenges uh, in in all of those areas, whether it's health or family or fitness or finance. Uh, people have challenges, you know. I, I get it, but if we use the word trauma, um, it suggests overwhelming. It suggests nothing we can do anything about. And it also suggests that we had nothing to do with it in the first place. Not true. In finance, you know it's true, right? Today's financial problems are the result of yesterday's awful decisions. You know that's true. I mean, that's true for 99.8% 
of people who are in financial stress. It's because of bad decisions that were made in the past. Now, you know, this is like blaming the victim. You know, this is uh, this makes people feel even worse. Hey, and, and look, it, it is painful. Um, I, I've had my setbacks and failures, and I, I don't mind telling you, um, I sat myself down and I said, you're good at telling this to other people. Now tell it to yourself. You caused this problem, not today, maybe not yesterday, not today before, but in the past, you made bad choices, you made bad decisions, and now you're paying the price. Not pleasant for me to hear myself telling me that, I'll tell you that, not pleasant, but at the same time, it did feel like one tiny little step on the road to recovery and on the road to rebuilding. In other words, acknowledging that I caused the problem is tantamount to acknowledging that, well, that means I am capable of bringing about the solution as well. And so um, be- trauma, <coughs> pardon, trauma doesn't have definition, right? For some people, um, you know, having uh, financial problems and losing their, uh, their, their business or losing their house or whatever, very traumatic. But it's not a good word for it because that's not the same as other small and minor matters that people increasingly are using the word trauma for. And so I'd strongly recommend that... Uh, if you uh, have to tell somebody, you know, something happened, then look, I, I broke my arm. Don't say I had a traumatic injury. Say exactly what it was. Uh, I, was I was in a car accident and I, I broke three ribs, you know. What, but leave out the word trauma. It's, uh, it's a destructive word. And, and here's the important thing. Remember how much you and I are affected and impacted by the words that our own ears hear our own mouth articulate. We are among the people that are most persuaded by our own words. Please, please remember that and be aware of that. And so as soon as you use a word like trauma, what you are really saying or what, you, what your being, what your spiritual being is hearing you say is... Um, uh, yeah, you, I, I couldn't have I, I couldn't have any uh, ability to deal with that. This was a traumatic experience. It just it came out there and and hit me. Nothing much that I could do about it, and that's that's a real problem. Another word like that is abuse. Abuse. Um, you know, uh, she's been married for four years. I don't know how she could have stuck it out with that sort of abuse going on. Okay, what does that mean exactly? It means he uh, hits her with a hammer every couple of days. What does it mean? Or, or does it mean he asks her to keep the, the house tidy? What, what is he doing to her that's so traumatic? Please, uh, that, that is abusive. Please stop using the word abuse in that context, um, you know, if you if you want to talk about it, abusing a machine or abusing a motorcycle or uh, or, or abusing a uh, uh, some part of your property, that's fine. But to use it in terms of human experience, 
I would strongly discourage it. I would strongly in- encourage you drop the word trauma and you drop the word abuse because it's undefined. It doesn't all it all it means is an attempt to generate emotional reactions of horror without telling us exactly what happened. And the word is laden with so much emotional baggage. Oh, she's been suffering abuse. He's been suffering abuse. Um, I, I was abused by my parents growing up as a child. What does that mean exactly? I'm not saying there aren't cases of children who endure horrific childhoods. But I've also heard people who've grown up, I really have, I've got people who've grown up in very privileged circumstances who speak about the horrible abuse they suffered as children. Look, uh, let me tell you one thing. Other than in a few exceptions, a tiny, almost imperceptible minority of exceptions, your parents really did pretty much the best they could. They weren't trying to give you a bad start in life. They were trying to give you a good start in life. They weren't trying to give you bad memories. They were trying to give you a lovely childhood. That's pretty much what your parents were trying to do. Did they succeed? Well, um, probably not really. And I'll tell you something else. If you are raising children or you're going to, you're probably not going to do a whole lot better. You're going to try just the same. But... uh, Look, you think about it, you know, you're tossed into this job. It's the only job in the world. You're tossed in with no training, no expectation, no instruction manual, nothing. All of a sudden, you know, you there you are, you uh, you get married and, and you're as excited as could be. You can't believe it. There you are living with this incredible man, this man you've been looking up to, and now actually you actually wake up next to him every morning. This is incredible. Or, you know, the guy, is, I mean, gosh, he, uh, he remembers when he couldn't even approach her. He was so terrified of asking her out. And then uh, their, their relationship became enriched. And eventually he proposed marriage. And now they married and they've been married a couple of years. And he's still utterly intoxicated with her. I mean, he he walks around breathing in the scent that wafts around his house because she's there. And it's all incredible and wonderful. And she is is basking in, in being loved and taken care of and protected and cherished. And all all is terrific. And and then she becomes pregnant. And everything's still everything's still terrific. I mean, you know, there's a first few months of uh uh, discomfort and uh, a little bit of morning sickness, and uh, but then you know by the time the uh, the middle months of pregnancy arrive, they they're enjoying themselves. They, they they this is terrific. And then all of a sudden, whoosh! Out of the shoot, here comes a, a baby, and you're expected to be a parent. And um, and and then you know the, the, the two years later the baby's a, a, a toddler, and uh, a little after that four five years old, and they're starting to develop a personality and a will, and uh, all of a sudden you're discovering that nobody told you how to deal with this. Like, what are you supposed to do with a tantrum in the grocery store? What are you supposed to do? And what are you supposed to do when your little toddler says no, I won't? Or, or a million other uh, circumstances that crop up. So, you know, wise parents 
talk to one another, the amount of encouragement and self-improvement and growth that can come from mom and dad talking to each other and encouraging each other uh, is incredible. It's also, you know, twice as many people as one person. So um, there's more books to read and there's a lot of good stuff out there on child raising. And uh, it, it helps you and you start falling into a, a, a pattern and you're beginning to understand the development of a child. No, you don't need a child development degree. You don't need a psychology degree. Uh, you're a parent. You know, God, God gives parents the ability to take care of their children and to raise wonderful children and to prepare uh, happy, successful human beings. Yeah, you, you've got that ability. And because the resources are out there, and uh, I must tell you, the uh, the challenge of a single a mother alone or a father alone raising children uh, staggers my mind. I, I simply do not think it can be done. I, I know there are people heroically doing it, uh, but it's no fun. I, I just don't think it could be much fun. And yes, I know that you know these are wonderful mothers and wonderful fathers. They look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing in the past. Yeah, I think you probably would being happily married to uh, the other spouse, the other person who helped bring this child into the world, I bet you'd like to be there. But um, still, you know, I know people do fantastic jobs, but, uh, uh, but parenting, it's a wonderful growth opportunity. But um, we've, got to, we've got to know that um, this is a part, a part of the five Fs, all of these things come together and they integrate. Uh, I'm able to function more effectively at my job because I have a husband and children at home or a wife and children at home is how I would have preferred to have put it. But I made a little accommodation there to modernity. Did you see what I did there? So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. So, um, Please try and stop using the word abuse and stop using the word trauma in the context of your life or other people's lives. Um, you know, to, des to describe somebody else as, as having gone through abuse, but when you don't even know the details of what happened, it's just not good. These are uh, terms that have been co opted into regular usage, they've also been devalued. Whereas once upon a time, um, you know, uh, 79 years ago, I'm, I'm recording this in, in June of 2023. So 79 years ago, um, 150,000 young men, all in one day, on the 6th of June, 1944, 150,000 young men, no, there actually weren't any young women there, uh, stormed ashore. Many of them chopped down, on the very beach, about 10,000 lost that day. Um, but you, those guys, like, did, did anybody meet them up afterwards? Did General Patton set up a trauma center, not for their physical wounds, but where they could talk about their experience to a therapist? No, didn't happen. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, I have alluded to this in the past. I want to state this explicitly now even though I'm not going to be going in-depth into it, although it is um, on the schedule for in-depth treatment on this show a little bit down the road. And that is talking through bad experiences, traumatic experiences even, talking through them 
again and again and again, reliving them with a therapist, talking them out, letting them out. All the stuff makes it worse, not better. I know this is contrary to, to all the current practice, uh, which is to talk and talk and talk, and you get to pay hundreds of dollars an hour if you live in the right cities in the country, hundreds of dollars an hour to a therapist who will happily listen to you while their mind wanders over all kinds of things that they're thinking about because all they have to do is feign interest and listen to you chattering away about the abuse you suffered as a child and about the trauma you've endured, and uh, none of this makes any of it better in the slightest. And that's one of the reasons that a, a number of people used to have the experience of talking to uh, sometimes fathers, sometimes uncles, eventually grandparents who had fought in World War II. And it was not always easy to get them to talk about their experiences because they knew that talking about it makes it worse, not better. And so this is a complete lie of the, the current mental health industry that talking these things out is better. No, it actually isn't. And uh, this has been discovered, and there have been some interesting uh, reports already on children who've witnessed bad things, uh, children who've witnessed uh, one parent killing another, children who've witnessed uh, school violence. Uh, and they've seen that children who are given uh, uh, school department, education department, uh, school district, therapy, treatment, uh, mental health counseling, all of these things provided to the children. They've discovered that in general, the children who didn't participate in this did far better in just getting back to normal than the children who did. And it makes sense when you think about it, right? Every time you talk about it, you relive it. It's not as if you work it out of your system. <laughs> what do you think this is? You know, like uh, uh, changing the oil in your car. You pull the plug and let it all out. No, that's not how it happens with human beings. Uh, and bottling it up. It, you know, again, these are, are words that carry with them heavy emotional baggage. Oh, he's bottling up his feelings. Um, no, bottling up is, is not a good word to use there. Use it if you want to, but uh, it's, it suggests something other than what is really going on. And so it's uh, it's not a case of bottling up the feelings, but it's it's more a case of uh, I've I've dealt with it. Okay, fine. I, it, it's not great. It's a bad memory. It'll fade in time. That's one of the great mercies of memory. It'll fade in time. It will go away. But talking about it again and again, you never let it move off the front burner into the darker recesses of memory. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, all of those are. Uh, are reasons why abuse and trauma are words that, that really, really should be expunged from your vocabulary. And that, that being said, um, mental health is not something you have to go out and seek. Right? Mental health is not something, you know, physical health is different. You go to a doctor, have a checkup. It's not a bad idea. But do you think it's a good idea to go to a psychiatrist or a therapist or a psychologist and have a mental health checkup? You know, particularly since there is no actual test that can demonstrate or validate the, the presence of a mental disease. Not true with physical, right? You've got shingles, 
they'll they'll find it. Doctors, skillful doctors, will identify it and they'll diagnose it and they'll provide you with whatever treatment is available for it. But uh, there is no way to objectively diagnose mental health. And the evidence is situations that I'm aware of where um, people have received utterly different diagnoses from different so-called, you know, mental health professionals. Uh, it's um, it, it's just, it, it's reached a point in the United States of America and uh, elsewhere in the West, particularly the United Kingdom, it's reached the point where mental health is on everybody's lips. It's all people talk about. And all the people, and the number of people who are on psychotropic drugs and the number of people who are uh, receiving treatment, people, it's it's enough already, right? In in 90 cases out of 100, it's not necessary. All you got to do is fix up your finances and fix up your family relationships and fix fix up your friendships and fix up your physical fitness, and uh, fix up your faith connection, your mental health will be just fine. I promise you that. Now, I have made it sound as if it's relatively simple. Oh, you know, just fix up your finances, fix up your physical fitness, fix up your uh, friendships, fix up your uh, family, fix up your faith. No, obviously these things are hard. That's part of what being a happy warrior is. We are enthusiastic about confronting the challenge. That's what it is. Mental health is the natural consequence of developing your five Fs. It's not only mental health, it's a robust state of mental tranquility and acuity. A robust state is the consequence of working on your five Fs. And here's the best part of it. It's not as if there is an objective finish line to any of the five Fs that you have to get to, and then then you're going to be okay. No, it's the struggle that brings value. It's the work you do on fixing your finances. It's the work you do on building a family and and building, maintaining, nurturing, restoring family relationships. It's the work you do on fitness. It's not as if there's an eventual measure of bodily strength or heart rate. Uh, you, you may have targets to work towards while you're while you're working out and exercising, but in general, it's the process. You feel terrific after a good exercise session, regardless of how you compare to other people, because it isn't a specific finish line. It's the process. And that's true as well. If you start taking tentative nibbles into the area of faith, my goodness, what a change there is in one's life. If one becomes understanding of the spiritual reality, which is a preliminary step in faith, um, if if you start off by taking stock of your finances, figuring out Getting, you know, learning how to read financial statements, making financial statements for yourself. It's a start and you feel great. You've started tackling the challenge, all of these things. And so it is also with, as you work on these things, really from, from day one, you start feeling the improvement in your mental health, your ability to concentrate, your ability to focus, your ability to relax, your ability to be in the moment, 
All of these things are the result of progress and growth in your five Fs. Ireland, beautiful Ireland, pretty country, nice place to visit. Um, the Irish government is now working on a plan to kill 200,000 cows over the next three or four years. Now, look, um, <laughs> I, happen, I, I, I have such a soft spot for cows. Um, when I was lecturing in Switzerland recently, um, one of the people in the audience came up to me and we spoke afterwards. And turns out he's got a Swiss dairy farm. He's got a few hundred beautiful Swiss cows. I can't tell you how, it was only about 45 minutes outside Zurich. I can't tell you how much I wanted to take the time and, and go and visit his cows and his dairy farm. There just wasn't, there just wasn't the time I was, uh, I was on all, all the time until I had to leave for the airport to return home. But uh, look, I, I really like cows. So I grant you that if it's possible, it's, you may be detecting an added level of peak and unhappiness about this piece of news uh, over many of the other symptoms of a dying and decaying culture. But um, nonetheless, I, I hate the idea of killing 200,000 cows. It, what Purposeless. I mean, it's senseless destruction. Why? Because the European Union the EU government in Brussels decreed that cows are a major contributor to carbon dioxide and methane in the atmosphere, and that will make it difficult for the European Union to meet its climate commitments. This insanity, but I, I want you to see, and I, I believe I will be being of use to you, and that's what I really want to do. I want to be sure that at the by the time you finish listening to a Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, you say to yourself, okay, that was useful. My time was well spent. I am better equipped now to be a happy warrior. I'm better able to do the thing. I understand something better than I did before. And so uh, I'm going to help you see this, okay? And so uh, I looked into this. Sure enough, uh, I wish I could say it with the right Irish brogue, but the uh, agriculture minister of Ireland is a guy called Charlie McConnellogue. Uh, and uh, he this morning told the um, news uh, sources I was following, Daily Telegraph in England and others, um, he is committed to reducing methane emissions and one of the things he's going to do, he's going to uh, wipe out about 75,000 cows a year for the next few years. Okay, that's Ireland. Another part of the, uh, by the way, Irish dairy farmers are not as happy as he is about this. Uh, in the Netherlands, uh, another country, part of the European Union, and well done, British. You, you, you guys got out just in time, maybe even a bit late. But uh, the Dutch administrative court has established, this is like the highest court in Holland, that uh, the Dutch government was breaking European Union law. Do you mind? This is like the Supreme Court of the United States ruling that something has to happen, not because of the Constitution, not because of the laws passed by the United States Congress, but because the United Nations said something, or the European, it's an insanity. 
What happened to sovereign power? But the highest Dutch court in, in the Netherlands says that the government was breaking European Union law by not hurrying up, doing what? That's right, killing more cows. I, I, it sounds crazy. They already, the Dutch government already followed the European Union ruling that they have to lower speed limits on all Dutch roads. So now, the even on, on highways, and Holland has, you know, like autobahns, just like Germany, I mean, most of Europe does, uh, and on those roads, Holland has reduced the speed limit now to about 60. Um, for what? Why? Because climate emergency. But the main thing is we've got to kill the cows. So um, <laughs> it's, it's really unbelievable. So these cows are being killed in Holland and Ireland. And I've been trying to find out what other, I'm sure there are other countries as well. It's just that Holland and Ireland have very well-developed dairy industries. Greece, for instance, you know, doesn't have a lot of dairy farms. But um, I've tried to see if there are other countries. But basically, the word has gone out, kill the cows. Kill the cows. That's what you've got to do. You've got to kill the cows. Because, well, you've got to placate the anger of the fearsome God of nature because the fearsome God of nature will bring global warming and climate change and oceans will rise and flood. There'll be great punishment for doing what? Right? What is the sin? The sin is civilization. The sin is economy and economic progress. The sin is industrial progress. Everything that makes civilization possible. And that's the sin. Really? You know, why is Rabbi Lapin confusing the theology of sin with a very simple but mistaken European Union policy, which is kill half a million cows very soon in order that they will stop emitting dangerous carbon dioxide gases? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why I say what I'm saying. So, um, okay, I should mention, by the way, that Holland is the EU's biggest meat exporter. So you can imagine the devastation this is going to inflict, not only on individual farmers, but on the country as a whole, which derives benefit from being able to sell large quantities of meat. But now they are going to have to slaughter uh, nearly a quarter of a million cows for no benefit whatsoever. It's, it's, it's evil, absolutely evil. So here I've told you now rulings from the ecclesiastical authority of the European Parliament that uh, cows must be killed. And now what I'd like you to do is listen as I read to you, and I'm, I'm not going to play games. I could, I could just read and say, guess where this comes from, but I'm going to tell you. It comes from the Bible, Exodus chapter 24, verse 5. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings, and they sacrificed young cows as peace offerings to the Lord. You see how this could sound very similar? Right, please, Lord, we, we mean peace. We don't mean to be bad. We don't mean to be evil. We don't mean to sin. Uh, so please, let us kill these 
cows in order to placate you. Do you see what I'm seeing here? How about the book of Numbers, chapter 8? Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the cows and offer one for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement. It's exactly what's going on, my friends. Kill the cows to make atonement for industry, for capitalism, for economic progress, for Western civilization in itself. Book of Numbers, chapter 7, verse 17. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five goats, five male lambs. This was the offering of Nachshon, the son of Aminadav. Um, look, uh, what I'm trying to point out to you is that religion is as needed by the human being as oxygen and water. It's just that your body immediately tells you when you haven't had enough food or when you can't breathe, you start becoming asphyxiated and no oxygen, but your body doesn't tell you when you're getting too little faith. It only tells you in the passage of time, by which time it's usually too late. When you're deprived of water, your body protests and yearns and struggles for water. And if it gets water, it's, it's in good time, even if it's you know in a, in a day or two or three. Uh, oxygen, well, you need that much sooner. But uh, when you get it, you'll be okay. Trouble is, our need for faith, our need for religious connection, it's real, but you don't feel it because everything seems normal. Life seems okay. And it's only in the passage of time that lots of things are not going well and you don't realize that the problems must be attributed to the complete lack of anything in the area of spirituality and faith during the early years when you could have got that right. What I'm saying is, Everybody has this need, this idea that there's got to be a bigger force and a bigger power. It's only a question of who it is. I choose the big G of God, but there are a whole lot of people who choose the little G of government. And there are a whole lot of people who choose nature, the environment, as their God. And nothing is too much to do for the environment. I got to tell you, um, two years ago, um, Hurricane Ida struck the United States. It was August 2021. And um, interestingly enough, New Yorkers, sophisticated New Yorkers, New Yorkers who took pride in not being influenced by the primitive taboos of religion, they took pride in being enlightened atheists. They claimed that the reason Hurricane Ida flooded the New York subway system, you remember water came into the subway, subway had to stop running, and uh, Upper East Side New York liberals, they, they designated this as a cosmic phenomenon. They saw it as this is what happens to us when we ignore the dangers of climate change. And so 
I thought this is terrific. There really is very little difference between primitive tribesmen in remote, isolated, desert islands who say, oh, the thunder and the lightning is because God is angry that we did this or that or the other thing. There's no, there's no difference. Oh, you know why the, the, the evil, the angry God of nature flooded the New York subway system because we haven't done enough killing of cows or eliminating cars or getting rid of gas stoves and gas furnaces because somehow or another for people to burn gas, a beautiful clean energy source at home is terrible. They must use electricity, but it's fine if the electricity utility, the generating station, uses gas as they do to drive their turbines, which then are coupled to generators to produce the electricity. So again, this is all this is all religious symbolism. For you to burn gas in your gas stove or in your heating furnace is evil. But if the electrical utility does burns the exact same gas in order to produce electricity that you'll then burn to get the heat in your home, somehow or another, the juggling of that makes sense, but it does if you realize it's a case of religious belief. So please don't make the mistake of thinking religion means exclusively Judaism or Christianity or Islam or the Latter-day Saints. No, religion is a system of belief that attempts to make sense of the world in which we live by reference to a higher power. And uh, they are many of them are, are simply emulations of uh, biblical belief. That's all that's going on here. And so the slaughtering of cows, absolutely, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> it's bringing a sacrifice. That's all it is. Conceptually, it's the same idea as uh, Exodus chapter 24 or Numbers chapter 7 or chapter 8 or Numbers or Leviticus chapter 23. There are all kinds of instances throughout the five books of Moses where we read about the slaughtering of animals. But uh, it's, it's done there because God requires it. And in the European Union, it's done because their God requires it. You see, in the absence of religious faith, in the absence of faith in God, people in their desperate need to structure an external authority will come up with the environment, nature, and so on, and many, many other similar examples where people adopt fervent belief in some greater power in honor of which almost everything must be sacrificed. And when it comes to nature and the environment, our comfort, our safety, and even our survival has to be thrown into doubt as long as we can placate the furies of the God of nature. And uh, I beseech you to be aware that uh, the so-called experts, the scientists, who are, of course, the high priests of 
secular fundamentalism, which is the faith we're talking about. It finds expression in subgroups, you know, just as Christianity has various subgroups, Judaism has various subgroups. So the faith of secular fundamentalism has various subgroups. One of them is uh, socialism, the promotion of aggressive socialism. Another one is environmentalism. Climate change is a part of that. These are various sub-churches in the church of secular fundamentalism, which requires sacrifice just as surely as the God of the Old Testament requires sacrifice. I'm not comparing them, by the way. In, uh, in another show, I plan on talking about the sacrifices of the Old Testament and what their purpose was and uh, why they existed and what they achieved. But uh, for now, just to be aware that uh, the people who say these things speak with exactly the same fervor and conviction and scientists have established this. This is beyond question. The science is settled. You can't raise any questions about this. Uh, are we really running out of fossil fuel? Well, I don't think so. Wouldn't it be possible to explore the possibility that more and more fossil fuel is being created as time goes by? It's not a finite resource that we're sucking out of the earth, leaving the earth dry and empty. No. Maybe it's like mother's milk right? The baby doesn't exhaust it. More is being made all the time. Baby, drink away. Enjoy. There'll be plenty. You want to use use oil? Go for it. Go for it. There'll be plenty. No, you can't, you can't explore that. Let's, let's find out. No, it's, it's a given piece of religious doctrine that we are running out of everything. Shortage is the key phrase we're short of everything, which makes sense, right? Because limitlessness is only the province of the God. That's that's the only place where abundance comes from. Everything else is material and, and is therefore limited, correct? So obviously, if you live in a godless world, if you live in the world of secular fundamentalism, then obviously everything is limited because all you acknowledge the reality of is the material world and all things material are limited. It's, it's pretty clear. I mean, this is not advanced theology or anything. Um, it, it, that, that's how it is. So obviously, yes, we're running out of everything and the climate is changing. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're running out of time. That's another thing. All of these things. Greta Thunberg, you might remember her, um, the shrill Scandinavian teenager who, uh, you know, does what teenagers do, which is get hysterical about things. You know, last year it was the Beatles. This year it's climate change. Whatever. I understand what teenage girls do. I, I get it. No problem. The problem is stupid older men who give credence to it and take it seriously. But um, she had to run back and expunge an early Twitter uh, because in 2018, she said the earth only has five years left. And in five years time, everybody will start burning up. Well, she had to go and take it away because it's now 2023, and uh, guess what? The, the warnings are still coming, but the goal is to always keep them just, by the way, the ideal time frame that um, the gods of secular fundamentalism like is 10 years. The, the big danger is in 10 years' time. Now, obviously, they've been saying it for a long time, but very few people you know, pull out statements, stupid statements, false statements made by, shall we say, John Kerry, the climate czar. Uh, 
in the United States of America at least, and say, hey, you know, you said we're going to be in a crisis point with the noticeable rising in water levels by uh, 2021 already. Uh, nobody, you see, keep it about, the danger is about 10 years away. Now, everyone's saying that with exactly the same conviction that they spoke about population explosion in the 60s and 70s. And it was, the you know, back then it wasn't climate change. Back then it was too many people. And they, they used exactly the same apocalyptic language that we hear from today about climate change. You should be beginning to get the idea that the important thing is that destruction is upon us somehow. It doesn't much matter what it is. Destruction is upon us, and it's the scale of destruction that is going to require international cooperation to solve. It's maybe we need to empower the United Nations a little bit more so as to help solve these, because whether it's overpopulation in the 70s or whether it's climate change in the 2020s, uh, these are obviously too big a problem to be solved by your children's preschool. This has to be solved by an internationally coordinated effort. And um, you get the idea, and you should be able to beginning to see some of the motivation for all of this. At any rate, uh, no, no further back than the 1970s, um, population explosion was the problem. Literally, they were talking about people being squeezed so as there's no place to even live on the planet. That's what they were talking of. The reality is uh, that global fertility has collapsed. That's what's happened. And so we are watching for the first time in a very, probably since, I don't know, maybe since, since the Black Death, in medieval Europe, we're seeing the population of the planet uh, declining. It hasn't started declining yet, but it looks like it could do. Now, I'm not making a prediction of that happening, but it certainly looks plausible. At any rate, one thing is clear, and that is overpopulation is not a problem. Uh, as recently as 2000, so that's 23 years ago, the world average fertility rate was 2.7 births per woman, which is comfortably above the replacement rate of 2.1, which, uh, 2 uh, which is a stable population figure. Today, in 23 years, the global fertility rate has gone from 2.7 to 2.3, and it's falling. Um, so... Uh, the, by the way, if you take the largest, the 15 largest economies in the world, they all have a fertility rate below 2.1. Got it? I mean, think about that. Every, I mean, all the developed parts of the world with vibrant economies, think of, for the most part, Western civilization uh, running at below replacement level. Now, is this a problem? Well, it depends, you see. If you speak to folks from the 1970s, well, they should say, oh, fantastic, everything's great. But they're not saying that because everybody understands that a stable population, same population size, does not work. When I say it doesn't work, uh, what happens is that uh, there is economic stress that is a result of a declining population and that causes social disruption, 
and uh, it's it's not it's it's non viable. You you can there is no such thing as a successful country with a stable population just keeping the same population figures all along. I know it's logical. I know it seems it ought to work. It doesn't, and we can talk about. And by the way, feel free to uh, to write on my website at uh, rabbidaniellappin.com. You know uh, that there's an easy way for you to become a happy warrior, and uh, comment or tell me what you think, and I'll do my. I, I read everything and I answer a lot of it, uh, so don't hesitate to do that. But. Um, Listen to the New York Times now. This, this is fantastic. Um, again, right now, right? Late spring 2023. Soon we won't have enough kids to fill our schools. That's a problem. That's the headline, New York Times. I thought overpopulation was the problem yesterday. I'm trying to show you the dangers of listening to the experts. Listen to your own self. Listen to your own intelligence. Listen to your own thought process. Figure it out for yourself. Don't be sold a bill of goods by people with an alphabet of letters after their names. Just weigh it up. I'm not saying listen to me. Don't listen to me either. Just weigh it up. Think about it. Look at it objectively. Ignore things that say studies reveal experts claim. Ignore that sort of stuff and just ask yourself. So only 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, they're speaking about overpopulation, threatening all of humanity. Now, the Economist, a prestigious British economics newspaper, speaks about the economic failures that'll be due to diminishing population. And which, you know, these things are already visible in Japan and South Korea. Um, In the United States, it's already a problem. Uh, This is is all very, very real. But now, even the woke liberals of the Upper East Side of New York, well, they figured out the lack of of people is a is a huge problem. Why? Well, let me let me read it to you. Soon we won't have enough kids to fill our schools. That's a problem. And that article appeared in on June 14th in uh, in the New York Times. The number of school-aged children in America is declining. Well, yeah, because fertility has been down. People are having fewer kids. And so, so this has been going on for enough years now. So is that at the uh, entry level, school entry level, well, guess what? There's not enough children to fill the schools. My friends, please think about this for a second. Can you tell me why is this a problem? The headline says, soon we won't have enough kids to fill our schools. That's a problem. Is Why don't, like, hey, guess what? Soon there's not going to be enough coffee drinkers to uh, fill up all the Starbucks stores. Really? I mean, who, so shut the stores. Who cares? Since when do you think this way? This is an upside-down, topsy-turvy way of thinking. Well, we don't have enough children to fill the schools. So shut the schools. What's the problem? Right, you're the guys who pushed zero population growth. You're the guys who said there's too many people. Good, we listened to you. There's now fewer people. Great, shut the schools, demolish the buildings and turn them into parks or whatever else you want to do. Why is this a problem? You know the answer, don't you? Teachers' unions. Do I need to say more? 
All right, well, I don't think I need to say more about anything because we are running short of time for today. So, uh, dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, uh, subscribe, please, to the podcast. That's good for everybody, so go ahead and do that. Uh, visit the website, and um, it's rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, you might be uh, interested in taking another look at a book I wrote called America's Real War. I didn't write it yesterday, but it reads as if I wrote it yesterday. Uh, it tackles the very issues we've been talking about, ripped from today's headlines. So until next week, when we share time together, I am your rabbi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, wishing you a wonderful week of progress with your family, with your finances, with your fitness, with your friendships, and with your faith. God bless.